Welcome to the Commune Podcast. This is Jeff Krasnow. So today's episode is a reading from my friend Lori Beth Robbins. But first, a little backstory. The first time I beheld Lori Beth on social media, she was wearing nothing but a giant salmon and holding a glass of wine. I mean, who would not be compelled? I was taken in, though, by LBR's Facebook monologues and knifery, both equally dexterous. She is a poet gourmet, making art of food and story. And as I became a devotee of her, she simultaneously developed an affection for my commusing articles, and our mutual admiration blossomed in a number of long telephone calls. I think of them as communions, exchanges of intimate spiritual feelings. It was on one of these calls I learned of Lori Beth's harrowing experience as a young woman. She bravely shares this story with us here today on the podcast. So for those who may be triggered by it, I hope you will feel ready to return to this episode another time. Because of course, through the exchange of story, the glaciers of separation thaw, revealing bridges that connect our islands of loneliness. Halori Beth found the ingredients to transform a gruel of PTSD into a bisque of post-traumatic growth. And this is our individual and communal challenge to find meaning in our suffering. Lori Beth serves as a beacon of hope. So I hope you enjoy Lori Beth's reading of her article, We Are Stronger Than Our Struggles. My name is Jeff Krasna, and welcome to Commune. are stronger than our struggles. Human flesh is an unfathomably lucrative commodity today with human trafficking, labor, sexual, child, and more being de rigueur. But if your only concept of these atrocities is from thriller movies or TV reports, then I am compelled to do my due diligence and speak up. If you have a daughter, know someone who has a daughter, or understand that every woman you meet is indeed somebody's daughter, then perhaps my story today shall reach right down into your bones and inspire you to be part of the solution. On more than one occasion, I am asked, where was God in your harrowing journey, to which I repeat the old adage that God was there all along, but where was man? Rarely does an American divorcee nearing 30 fathom that such diabolical things could happen to her. But there I was living with my mother, a journalist, and father, a political science professor. And in that household of 13 newspapers, 17 on Sunday, I answered an ad in a well-known publication for a job as an administrative assistant in Athens, Greece. After vetting the position thoroughly and even discovering to my shock that a family friend even knew the boss who had placed this enticing ad, all things revealed a green light looked inherently safe and indeed were extraordinarily exciting. 
as I packed for my move, I visualized the next leg of my life journey. Succulent grilled octopus pulled freshly from the sea. Bucolic white stucco architecture right out of a coffee table book and single, lonely, and admittedly quite horny as I was, maybe even a tan, sexy, and quite charming Greek god. When I arrived on the other side of the world, however, a job did not exist, and my big fat Greek comedy turned tragedy mighty fast. Sitting in the bar of my hotel, contemplating my options, my pride having been eaten and so abruptly shat out the other side, and tremendously so as I was not prepared to return home after a mere 48 hours and explain that I had failed so abruptly in my Greek fantasy, I was readily approached and convincingly coaxed by some other men. They were in shipping. Just what or whom they were shipping, I then so very fawn-like did not know. Were they connected to those who had placed the ad? Maybe, maybe not. It's hard to know. But over the course of a couple of months, I would be groomed and loomed into a plan, a grand scheme from which these maestros of maniacally sick ventures do manifest and make money from in droves. Greek hospitality abounding, I would attend a magnificent Greek Easter in the home of one of these gentlemen, replete with whole roasted lamb and goat on a spit. Yes, the eyes, intestines, and balls, all of it. I would meet the elder Yaya grandmothers and the small babies both. My friends hospitably encouraged me to call home on their cell phones and let my parents know that I was okay. Since I didn't have such a mobile device when traveling, these tactics, all part of the grooming, were in place to be used as threatening ammunition later on. We have your information and we know where your family is. Ergo, a gal was to cooperate. Accordingly, the shipping moguls thoughtfully had me request my parents' male clothing to their offices since I was living out of hotels and would need more items once I stayed on sustainably in Greece. Yet it was all, yes, every specific and intentional bit, just part of the plot and ploy with me being valuable merchandise to them and, unbeknownst to me, already in their possession. Mind you, this was eons before the word trafficking was so commonly in the news, on social media, or portrayed gorily in movies like Taken or the Quentin Tarantino hostel flicks. And yet, even today, people still move through this big, beautiful world with ignorance or disbelief due to income, intelligence, or a false sense of the vicissitudes of life, that such adversity could ever in any way occur within their family. I too, at that time, was certainly a neophyte in this subject. And since I was handed the garments, which my parents had mailed, and since my trust was constructed with the meticulousness demanded by the dollar signs in their eyes, I bit the bait 
and moved along step by step of their perfidious game like the young and vulnerable chess pawn I was. While Hollywood action packs this genre with a thriller mystique and such exhilarating aplomb that it becomes, dare I say, sexy even, with the music fading up and the handsome characters flexing about while trafficking to a riveting and entertaining tempo. The obfuscating methods and myriad techniques these traffickers actually do use, including sending women in to lure girls into false opportunities with more believability, so spans the gauntlet of the twisted and clever that in reality you cannot see it coming, even if you wanted to. I received the call in my hotel. I was told at last a job would work out well for me, and the only regret my friends had was that they were not able to help me sooner. The instructions were brief. I was to be downstairs at 6 p.m., and as a tenacious kid, raised to be punctual and polite, I was most certainly downstairs, outside, curbside, and ready. And a black Mercedes pulled up, screeching its brakes and driving right onto the hotel sidewalk. Maybe Hollywood does some things right. But I was aggressively put into that car, taken with my luggage thrown into the trunk and a stern warning directed my way, don't mess around. They were all there, Serbian, Albanian, Bulgarian, and Greek men whom I knew, except for the one gentleman whom they had presumably waited for in order to make such a flesh sale. And I was driven to the Athens airport and put on a small plane with one of the men and flown to the north of Greece near a border. There I was placed in a seedy hotel where two other men came in for negotiations with my handler. And in the morning, I would watch as the men smoked early morning cigarettes paired with small cups of black murky coffee. And they babbled in a mishmash of Serbian languages and Greek amid the smoke and constant chatter. One of the men changed a car license plate as he cut and pasted different numbers onto it. Another man explained to me in English that the guy had received too many traffic tickets and needed a new plate before I would be driven in that vehicle across a border where my new job would, alas, begin. By that time, I had learned a hefty portion of local vocabulary and recognizing a word that meant hooker, Followed by their uproarious laughter, I asked to go to my room, claiming I needed something. Once in that hotel room, I locked the door, but one of the men had a key. Now, those involved with such dealings do not touch the girl first, mind you, while they are building her trust, unless placating her while posing as a love interest of some sort. But just before the gals are sold, however, into their torturous, decaying, disease-ridden fate, 
the traffickers then and only then get their sexual piece of the goods. For once the ladies cross the border, they will be within the first 24 hours indoctrinated into what's known as the break-in period. During that time, upwards of 30 men can be brought in around the clock to brutally use and abuse the girls who, while often drugged out of their minds, still clearly realize emotionally, verbally, and physically that they will never get out. Passports are often burned right in front of the girls in tandem with threats made regarding their families. Ergo, the traffickers get their lusty share right before that final sale and gruesome beginning of the end. And unfortunately, I was no exception to that first part of the protocol and was raped orally during a pit stop en route to the airport and then orally and vaginally by the man who opened that hotel room door on the morning I was to be sold. After this incident, that man informed me he would go downstairs first and that I was to come down and join them all a few minutes afterward as they would be finishing up certain things and then have the car ready. Well, Liam Neeson did not arrive on cue. And to this day, I am not entirely certain how I was able to manifest the wherewithal to move quickly, although I did. I took a deep breath, said simply to God, thank you for being with me right now. And I walked down those stairs, peering through the beaded curtains I witnessed two of the men smoking and babbling while twirling their worry beads, these traditional beads, a piece of jewelry to spin or rub when feeling anxious. They are called komboloi in Greek, meaning with every knot I say a prayer, an irony not lost on me one bit. I ran. I ran and I ran and I ran, taking one hell of a chance and in four-inch strappy sandals, no less. Eventually, I came to a much nicer-looking hotel, still unsure who to trust, shell-shocked as far as what to say, and still stinging with what had happened to me. I approached strangers. And I was taken to the American consulate, which unfortunately did not prove helpful. Yet in a very long, complicated, and also quite unpleasant and roundabout way, I did get home and I'm still here. Someone was looking out for me on what clearly was the luckiest day of my life. And for such, how very grateful am I for what would have happened to me had I crossed that creepy border would have been the most torturous end of me for certain. But as the saying goes, surviving the surviving is much harder than the transient moment in time that is often occurring unbeknownst to us. And for years post-Greece, I drowned in the suffocating swamp of shame for not having seen it coming. 
Nashim is a dangerous and debilitating animal in that it attacks one even after you dodge the arsenal of imminent danger. For too long, I convinced myself that other men would view me as soiled or perhaps damaged goods. Unlovable. I would spend years and many tears trying to even deny what had taken place and with me telling a very deluded version of such harrowing escapades to a boyfriend, with me only attracting men who did not fully appreciate me since I found myself unworthy after all, there were indeed some dark beyond dismal times and subsequently numerous unhealthy relationships. I even tried writing erotica or trying to rewrite the story as an interesting and adventurously grand fictional and romantic excursion minus the yucky parts with the hopes that such an exercise would somehow heal me or make what had happened just disappear, but to no avail. But do not feel sorry for me as I have a happy ending. Yes, I'm still here. And this is what I can share today, some two decades later, and having done deep and laborious, albeit vital, work in my heart and soul regarding this incident, alongside several phenomenal people and downright exceptional and very loving parents who have helped me embrace my strength and become the quite genuinely happy woman I am right now. Our struggles... Well, they do not disappear, nor should they. Life is for the living, for facing all it brings, and for forgiving ourselves, most importantly, so we can move forward. We cannot deny or change what has happened, but we can get a grip on it. Yes, we can, and we can choose not to become weak, sullen, fearful or hard because of it. We can decide not to ask why something happened to me, but instead dive in and be a conduit of kindness or a modem that almost links others up to this authentic and beautiful experience of life and courageously so reminding them that life sure is good again because it really is. A tragedy may be one mere part of us, where we were indeed victimized and we cannot deny it or make it disappear or change. No, we cannot, but it is not our entire identity. We are multidimensional, quite beautiful, whole beings if we choose to see that and to let the world see that magnificent range of ours as well. And it isn't that our wounds or struggles make us brave or fabulous any more then it isn't the case that time heals all wounds. Time will come and go anyway. What we do or do not do amid that time is what determines what and how things shall be. Post-Greece, I served for a time as an adjunct college professor in Lowell, Massachusetts, teaching speech and mass communications And most of my students were refugees from Haiti, Sierra Leone, Bulgaria, Nigeria, Cambodia, and many other ports of call. And being American and white, I was a minority and I would hear stories 
of struggle that I still shudder to replay in my mind. Some of these kids spoke about watching their brother's arms chopped off with machetes or a cousin being taunted and forced to shoot his own parents. They would describe these moments with such intrepidness and humility in English, no less, which wasn't their first language. And I would marvel and I would manifest some courage through osmosis into this mere vessel that I am blessed to borrow for a bit of time. Yes, those students grabbed my aorta from the inside valves and all and yanked it unflinchingly right out of my ego. And I am 20,000 times over better today for that experience. I spoke with a young lady who had endured a ghastly genital mutilation ritual, now illegal in many countries, where the women in her life whom she looked up to and trusted and loved, hacked away her most intimate and delicate body parts, sans anesthetic. I corresponded with a blind girl who used special software to compose her letters to me years after my guest appearance in her class. I attended a lecture where a Holocaust survivor spoke. He also became a pen pal of sorts and served as one of the pivotal people in my life who helped me take an optimistic mindset during moments when I didn't feel I aptly could. I am forever fortunate and grateful these brave people shared their experiences with me and collectively, yeah, collectively, because of them. Here is what I now can share with you. We all can look straight into the eyes of hell and know we have the same power. Yes, we do. If one person is misusing that energy, it does not mean they are stronger than you or your willpower. And when we recognize this, we rise up and face our challenges and with gusto. French writer and philosopher Albert Camus said it well, in the midst of winter, I found there was within me an invincible summer. And so, if I am doing this dance of life with any rhythm at all, then I believe our struggles truly present us with phenomenal opportunities, yes, to grow and glow and show fellow humans how it is done in the name of posture, positivity, and kindness delivered to others. Now, you may find yourself out in the cold with grisly shadows all around you and a deflating effort to even remain hopeful. But let that shaky moment be your cue, just like a movie scene where it is your time, your line, and your moment to shine and show all of your stuff for precisely then, yes, right then. And I promise you this, I do. It is at that exact fearful moment when you must not in any way, shape, or form lose your composure, your critical focus, and gallant spirit, it is right then 
when you must look that bleak and dismal or quite vacuous bastion of darkness damn smack in the face, grab an emblematic emotional shovel and say to it all, hold my wine. And because you can. Thanks a lot for listening to Lori Beth's reading of her article, We Are Stronger Than Our Struggles. She writes a brilliant article every Friday, and you can follow it right on her Facebook page. You will not be disappointed. And always feel free to email me directly with your thoughts and comments at jeffk at onecommune.com or follow my rantings on Instagram at Jeff Krasno. That's all from the commune for this week. Thanks for listening. <laughs>